0: Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's
2: Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, these stories are related to the first story that we're going to talk about. Fox 6, Milwaukee Car Thieves, Target Brewery District. Um, Car thieves are targeting Hyundai's and Kia's in downtown Milwaukee. They are doing it in broad daylight. A woman in the brewery district caught the whole thing on video. The car was stolen in less than two minutes at 11 a.m. And then they've got an interview with uh, a lady said, Hey, you know, um I- I've got a wheel lock. I've got a club. My vehicle has been broken into and attempted to be stolen twice. This past Sunday, she caught the latest attempt on camera. It happened right outside her front window. We saw a group of five kids or so spread out with two stolen vehicles, and they were attempting to steal a third. Um, she says she called the police, and before she knew it, her neighbor's car was gone. It was like probably two minutes by the time they got in the car, got it started, and were on their way. The woman whose car got stolen did not want to go on camera. The woman who did says she feels for it and wants to get the word out. There's only so much we can do, but if people can take recordings, get pictures of their faces, maybe it could just help. So again, we're we're talking about how if you live or visit downtown, really, it it just any time of the day or night, you're a potential victim for violence. But you're also, you know, it, it, two minutes. Two minutes, and the car is absolutely gone as we're on pace to have another um, tens of uh, thousands and thousands of cars stolen. They average, what, about 20 to 25 car thefts a day. A lot of it's done by juveniles, and nobody really has a plan to, to deal with that at all. So you've got that going on. Here's the story in the local newspaper. Police say gunmen from vehicle shot at officers before driving off. An arrest was made after police say a man in a car fired shots at several officers before driving off on Wednesday. It's the second time in a little over a week that Milwaukee police were fired upon. Shortly after 9 p.m. Wednesday, multiple officers were following up on a missing person investigation in the 3,000 block of West Brown Street in the Midtown neighborhood of Milwaukee's North Side. Someone from inside a vehicle then fired multiple rounds towards the officers before fleeing. About an hour later, a suspect vehicle was stopped more than two miles away on the 2,600 block of West Capitol Drive not that far from where I'm sitting now. The driver and sole occupant, a 32-year-old Milwaukee man, was arrested. Um, Then the story goes on to talk about all the other occasions that the the people are so bold that they're now just taking pot shots at police officers. So car thefts, out-of-control juveniles, violence all over downtown. We start off with the latest proposal that's out, and I I don't mean to be a wet blanket on, on this, but i i do find myself wondering what what are people thinking and, and and what is the chance that this is going to succeed so the breaking news today is that there is an announcement of a new project that's being considered for 6th and Michigan in, in downtown if you can picture 6th and Michigan this is there used to be a, a ramada inn downtown um Actually, the Ramada Inn was famous for, for hookers that were patronized by, like, sailors from Great Lakes. That was back when, when I worked downtown, you know, originally. That, that was one of the big things. Friday night, there, there, that, was, that was one of the places, I am told, where the law enforcement always would, would concentrate. But it's that 6th and Michigan area. If you can picture that, it used to be where the downtown Ramada Inn was. So the proposal which is being advanced by Casmeric Enterprises, which Jim Kasmeric, who's a partner of ours with our Kids to Kids Christmas and things like that, th- this is the plan. Um, there's a partnership between the Pabst Theater Group and Casmeric Enterprises. I'm looking at the drawings, and they're pretty spectacular. So this is 6th and Michigan, and what they want to do is they want to build an 8,000-seat soccer stadium to host a professional soccer team. Um, and and this would be, I, I think, kind of a minor league soccer team would be would be what you know this, this would be involved with. Kesmeric, he um, is the lead owner of um, Forward Madison, which is a soccer league in the USL League One franchise, which is like I believe it's one level down from um, a major league soccer. So the idea is you'd build this soccer stadium that seats 8,000 on the site, essentially, of the old Ramada Inn. On top of that, you would also build a 3,500-seat indoor entertainment venue that would be associated with that as well. And the facility would host national touring acts, they say, 80 to 100 nights a year and more than 300 events a year in total. So that's that's kind of the idea behind this. Okay, now I'm I'm thinking th- this through, and and I, if you want to think about you know what you have in Milwaukee, and uh, look, it, so far nobody's asking for public money for this. So if you've got individual investors that think they can make a go of it, I, that's 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 great. People want to invest their money and and do that. Um, that's we also have a hotel that would be attached to it. So. I was trying to think about, first of all, all right, I, I appreciate that soccer is, is taking on more interest and stuff, but I'm thinking, okay, an 8,000-seat soccer stadium on 6th and Michigan, right? Is that going to draw people? And then you, you have an entertainment venue. And I was thinking of all the other entertainment venues that we have around town. You've, of course, got um, the BMO Harris facility that's at Summerfest, then you've got, you know, of course, the American Family Amphitheater that is at Summerfest. And then you've got the Fiserv Forum that, that books acts. And then you've got the Riverside, and you've got the Pabst Theater, and you have the Rave, and you have some of the other entertainment venues that are around. And on top of that, there is a new group that wanted to open up its entertainment venue um kind of right across the street from Summerfest Well, some people objected to that so they've decided that they're going to try to find a different location and the word is the location they're looking at for that entertainment venue is going to be on the site of where the Bradley Center used to be and now in that that same area you have somebody else talking about building a 3,500 seat entertainment venue that would again book acts 80, 80 to 100 acts a year Um, Oh, I I forgot the Milwaukee Theater, which is also part of the PAPS group. Interestingly, the Milwaukee Theater, which used to be the Milwaukee Auditorium, I was just, I was kind of looking at their schedule. It's been, let's face it, it's been a white elephant since it was built. And I'm looking at the bookings that they have, the entertainment bookings that they have between now and the end of the year. And I'm on their website now, and they've got June 2nd, Smokey Robinson is coming to town. June 19th, they've got uh, a group called Banda MS. Uh, Then let's see. Um, In August, for one night, they've got the Rockzilla Tour featuring Papa Roach of special guest Bad Wolves. They've got Lord Huron on August 13th, Gloria Trevi on September 9th, Amy Schumer on November 11th, and Wheel of Fortune Live in December, and the Disney Princess concert in December as well. I guess my, my point is, there's there's probably, as far as entertainment bookings at the Milwaukee Theater, less than a dozen between now and the end of the year, with the emphasis on less. So I'm looking at these, the, these plans, I'm thinking about what's going on with crime, I'm thinking about that particular location, and I'm thinking about all the competition that you already have for musical acts and, you know, at entertainment venues, and I'm wondering okay, is this, if you build something like this, is this going to bring more people into the area? Can it possibly succeed? And, or is this going to sort of cannibalize other venues? How many venues like this in Milwaukee can we in fact support? And will, will minor league soccer downtown at an 8000 seat stadium and marquette will play there as well all right is is this something that is going to be successful 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line and don't mean to be a wet blanket on this and like i say right now at least as far as i understand they're not talking about wanting public money to do this and as long as they don't want public money well you'll go with god good luck to you oh by the way as long as we're talking about entertainment venues that's in the immediate area of, of the Potawatomi Casino that has it, its own, you know, entertainment venues that, that it, it offers. So you've got a lot of different entertainment venues competing for a limited number of dollars. Um, it is, Can something like this succeed? 855-616-1620. And if it does succeed, will it succeed at the expense of a number of other venues that are around town? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So the big news today is investors are planning on on building a giant soccer stadium that seats 8,000 people at the site of the old Ramada Inn, which used to be downtown, 6th and Michigan. They want to put a hotel next to it, and they want to put an entertainment venue that would seat 3,500 people and supposedly bring in acts, 80 to 100 acts uh, a year. Now, I guess, I, if, as long as we're not talking about public money, I, I don't care about that. First of all, I think for any chance something like this to succeed, you, you need to get a handle on the crime problem. That, that's that's number one. There, there's no way you're going to have large number of people that are going to travel to that area if they're afraid their cars are going to be stolen or they're going to be robbed. So that's. That's number one, and and if this motivates some politicians to get serious about wanting to crack down on crime, I'm all in favor of it. But at the same time, I just went through a number of the different venues that we have for entertainment that, that are around here, whether it's the stuff at Summerfest or all the different entertainment venues, many of which are grossly underused. I guess my question is, uh, is another 3,500-seat entertainment venue, is that realistically, is there enough, are there enough people, is there enough money in this area to support all these venues that we have throughout the course of a year? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Brian in Kenosha. Brian, you're first. Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was thinking maybe instead of downtown Milwaukee or in Milwaukee period, they should use the old uh, dog track in Kenosha off of Highway 50. That's right next to the interstate. That's been abandoned for years.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, thanks. Right now, my understanding is they're they're going to, you know, the plan for that is ultimately, uh, you know, a, a business uh, sort of thing and light industrial and all and things like that. But I, I would imagine the the owners, what what they want is the if if you build that down in Kenosha. You're 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 really expecting people to travel a long way. They're they're anticipating the fact that this is gonna help with a renaissance in, in downtown. And if it works, I, I think it's it's absolutely great. But I just don't think I just don't think that there's enough people out in this area that can support those type of, of venues. And and again, my, my evidence is, I, I think you can argue that we're overbuilt now when it comes to entertainment venues. And of course, you've got the folks that now are looking at putting a separate entertainment venue um, in the area where the, the Bradley Center used to be. You've got all this stuff now, and, and most of this is underutilized. So, and it, I, I'm a free market guy, and if you build something like this, especially if you're not talking about an investment of public funds in it, and it, it's new and bright and shiny, and it drives other places out of business, oh, okay, that that's great. But at the same time, the question becomes: Do you really need something like this? And is there really a demand for an eight thousand seat soccer stadium on Sixth and Michigan? Let's talk to Art downtown. Art, you're in WTMJ.
3: Yeah. Hey, Jeff, I think the location is obviously it's important, right? And I like the downtown, but I think where they've been missing for years and years and years is if you would have taken the Summerfest grounds at the North end where they have that kind of uh grassy area there at the North end, they've mm-hmm. since built the a uh, couple things down at that side. But what you do is you build the stadium there, a two tier that looks out over the lake. And what you do is you partner with the festivals because Every one of these ethnic festivals, what, is, what do they have in common? They love soccer, right? They all love mm-hmm. soccer. So you bring in your first division teams for uh, from Italy for the Italian Fest. you got your Mexican teams. Obviously, the Mexicans are going to be very important because of the uh, proximity to the south side. But if you're going to build a stadium, partner with those festivals so you're going to give a real boost to the festivals. And you're also going to be able to attract people for concerts. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it. You had the Marcus Amphitheater at one end, you have this 8,000 seat stadium, two tiered that looks out over the lake at the other end, be great for fireworks. The parking's already built in mm-hmm. across the street. They got the, uh, the parking right there. And so, I mean, it's been a no brainer for years and years that this is where, if they wanted to have a soccer stadium, that's where it should be
2: thanks for the call you know the i mean well part of the problem is there, there was this other rival entertainment group that wanted to build not a soccer stadium but they wanted to build an entertainment venue south of summerfest and um, not not right on the lake but south of summerfest right across from like those big parking lots that summerfest have i thought it was a great idea and what, what happened is you had some of the competitors including some of the people, I believe, that, that might have been responsible for this, you know, they they riled up folks in the neighborhood, and so ultimately they threw up these roadblocks, and I think the, the developers were looking at, you know, a several year legal battle that they just decided they didn't wanna fight, so they pulled out of that, so now you're not gonna get the development here, and they're looking at, at the Bradley Center, at the, the location of the Bradley Center. Now again, I'm a free market guy, and especially if we're not talking about government money, People want to come in and, and spend millions and millions of dollars developing this stuff on the assumption that it 's going to work that that 's fine now if you 're asking for the taxpayers to kick in that 's to me a much different question but nobody seems to be asking these questions about is there really demand for this sort of stuff and particularly i mean i don 't i don 't I don't know about minor league soccer and i, I don 't know that there's going to be enough demand that you 're going to get you know reliably that you 're going to get 2,000 or 3,000 people, much less 8,000 people, that are going to go and attend these games. Uh, I think they hope to use it from, like, March to November. So the question is, is that a white elephant? When it comes to the entertainment venues, is there enough interest around here? Are there enough people? Are our population... It is not, we are not Chicago. We are not New York. We are not Los Angeles. We are not Houston. We are not Dallas. Is the population enough to support all these different music venues, many of which are popping up that are approximately the same sort of size? Now I understand the big concerts are going to go to Fiserv. Big concerts are going to go to the Marcus amphitheater the slightly under the big touring acts maybe that's going to go to places uh certainly during the summer like the the bmo amphitheater the bmo theater on the Summerfest grounds or things like that um i I just i'm looking at all this and these renderings look really great they they do it's sort of like you know out at northridge when you you have this group that's been pushing for the the chinese um market You know, they come out and they give these really great renderings, and then, you know, nothing ever comes of it. Now, this group is very, very serious, and and Jim Kaczmarek does stuff first class. There's no question about it. I'm just looking at this saying... Is something like this really going to be successful? Does it have a potential to be successful? And what's going to have to happen to make it successful? The one thing I do know, like when spec- we can speculate about you know, whether there's enough interest in soccer to support this. We can speculate about whether there's enough interest and in it's gonna be able to attract the type of entertainers that will be able to sustain it. We can speculate about that. The one thing we cannot speculate about, because I think we all know for certain, is unless you get a handle on on crime in this area stuff like that isn't going to succeed because people aren't going to travel into that area if they're afraid that their cars are going to get stolen or they are going to get mugged so I mean that's one of the challenges and like I said at the start of this if if building a venue like this downtown inspires the district attorney's office the court system the politicians both in Madison here otherwise and the police chief to Hire three or four hundred more cops, flood the streets with cops, and make sure it is a safe experience. Well, then, then it's worth it. As Jane was mentioning, another brutal day in in the stock market. To, to give you a perspective, and I'll give you the numbers in just a minute, but um it, it's, again, this is another day where, despite the fact that the stock market, the Dow Jones, opened up a couple hundred points, the NASDAQ opened up over a 100 points up to the good. It looked like it might be okay because what happened in China was the China government uh, cut interest rates in an effort to try to generate some to stop, essentially stop the bleeding of the Chinese economy. Uh, the problem is when you do that, it, it tends to be inflationary. But after an opening up initially, the, the Dow has been on a, just a crash course down, as has been the Nasdaq. Here is the deal. A bear market is defined as, typically defined as, um, 20% below, it's, it's high. Once you get 20% below your high, that is, a, that is a bear market. And it now appears that all indicators, the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ, all in, in firmly in bear markets. Uh, to give you an idea, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ are on course for their seventh straight weekly loss. To give you some perspective, this is the longest such losing streak since 2001. You've got to go back 20-plus years to uh, find a losing streak like this. The Dow is on course for an eighth straight weekly decline, its longest losing streak since 1932. You have to go back to 1932. What's that? 90 years to find a similar losing streak in the stock market. All three indexes are recently on track to finish the week down at least 4%. So if if you think it's ugly, it, it is in fact ugly. And I, I understand that for people who are a long ways away from retirement. These are just kind of unrealized losses. But for people who are in retirement or people nearing retirement, um, th- this is potentially catastrophic, and the problem is I don't think anybody knows where it's going to end. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrials down 447 points, S&P down 64 points, that's 1.66 percent, the NASDAQ down 264, that's 2.32 percent. It's been just a rout over the core for essentially this entire year, but you're starting to talk about historic losing streaks just historic losing streaks like i say you got to go back to 1932 to find eight weeks in a row where the dow jones industrial average went down and uh certainly nobody in washington seems to have an idea as to how to turn this around all right we've been talking a lot since last week about the violence that occurred downtown the problems on water street the problems near the deer district and the the overall problem that you have when large groups of people congregate in a particular area the vast majority of those people are good people they have no intention of doing anything other than having fun but we all know that there is a certain segment of the community that's walking around they're carrying guns they've got no They've got no compulsion, uh, no sense of uh, impulse control at all, and they're willing to pretty much do you know, whatever it takes on a given moment's notice. Now, to give you an idea, though, about at least part of the thing that I, that I think the message is starting to get out, maybe a little bit, after years of setting ridiculously low bail for dangerous people, you know, we, we've all seen this. Here, you know, we've got somebody that's a multiple felon that's accused of a crime of violence. Let's turn them loose on $2,000 bail, and then they go and they commit another crime. It is interesting because I think the court system is finally starting to feel pressure from the general public and to wilt a little bit under the scrutiny that they're getting. Court commissioners are, are hired by the judges that do things like setting bail, and that's where a lot of the problems start. They. Court commissioners, for whatever reason, decide, okay, we don't want to hold people, we want to set ridiculously low bails, and then we're going to hope that they don't commit crimes. Interestingly, that some of the, the people who were involved in some of the shooting incidents um, near Water and Highland that injured 17 people, they made their initial court appearance yesterday. My prediction is, if this had happened two years ago, my guess is all three of these guys, and I, if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to the story. Um, my Twitter is at Wagner 620 But all three of these guys, if this had happened maybe even a year ago, my guess is they would have all been released on $2,500 bail, okay? Well, now I think some of the court commissioners are starting to feel the pressure. All three of these men who were charged in connection with the, the shootings that broke out off of Water Street on Friday night All three of them have cash bail set at one million dollars. One million dollars. Now, the defense attorneys, they're, I think, they're just all stunned. I mean, what what do you mean you're setting bail for a million dollars? That's just absolutely ridiculous. I think the court commissioners have finally, I think, are starting to recognize that the public is just absolutely sick of allowing dangerous people to be turned loose on bail only to go out and commit more crimes. So now we're starting to get significant bail. So that's the good news. Good news is there's at least, I think, some pressure going on. Three of these guys for a million dollars bail, which probably means that they will be staying as guests of Milwaukee County until their trial comes up. And that also means that at least for uh, to these three guys, that the streets will be a little bit safer. But getting these three guys off the streets doesn't necessarily mean that there's not another 300 who are willing to do the same thing one of the ideas that is being kicked around is to essentially mark boundaries of the entertain of an entertainment district and and you can figure out what those boundaries would be i don't know maybe maybe water street from I I don't know Wisconsin Avenue North or Water Street from you know f- figure out what street you want to to pick uh State Street North or whatever where, wherever you want to say okay this is the start of the entertainment district and and put up fences and close these close these areas to car traffic so you wouldn't be able to have cars in the area and fence this off And then what you would do, the idea is, is you would have people have to pay admission to get into the entertainment areas. They do something like this on on Beale Street in in Memphis. And and maybe they charge 10 bucks, maybe they charge five bucks. But the idea is to go and patronize the restaurants and the bars that are in this entertainment area. What you have to do is you have to pay an entry fee. It's, it's gated off, it's fenced off, so the general public just, just can't get in there. You can't get in without paying the entry fee. That entry fee is then used for the businesses to go out and and hire like private security guards and things of the like, and then you cut a deal, you work in cooperation with the Milwaukee Police Department or whatever. But the bottom line is to get into these areas, you would have to be screened, you'd have to go through like a metal detector, maybe you'd have to go through an x-ray device essentially to take whatever you want to define as the entertainment district and turn it into a controlled access situation, not unlike, well, Pfizer Forum, where, you know, to to get into Pfizer Forum, you've got to go through metal detectors and, and be screened. And there's people that control who come in and out. Same thing would be true like you have at American Family Field. If you want to go into the stadium, you've got to go through metal detectors. You have to have your bags searched and things of the like. Would something like that work in downtown Milwaukee on your entertainment district? And again, you can decide whether you need multiple entertainment districts. You could decide how big the entertainment district would be. But would fencing this off, work. eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, we're discussing the whole concept of, of, of a, essentially a downtown security area that's being proposed by some people. The idea is, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fence off an, an area, and I don't know what the geographic boundaries would be, but let's talk about Water Street. You know, you fence off the area around Water Street, and if you want to Enter that area you would have to pay a fee maybe it's five bucks maybe it's ten bucks that money would then be used to pay for private security and then you'd cut a deal where you'd work in conjunction with the Milwaukee Police Department and the idea would be by by charging that fee you keep troublemakers out potentially 855-616-1620 which is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line now let let me let me just let's let's go back for a second Um, as a starting point I think that this idea is a complete and total non-starter. I understand the appeal. Okay, well, if we can control access to this particular area, maybe you can help keep some of the bad guys out. Well, the problem is this ends up killing the business district first of all because what what about people that just want to stop off at one of those restaurants and, and have a beer or, or maybe have a sandwich for for lunch or early dinner after work or something? You don't want to have to pay five or ten dollars to get into this particular area. And be blocked off by that, so you know that's that's not a a possibility that that's out there. I think. Secondly, you just by limited number of people that can get in, you just kill those downtown businesses or those entertainment venue districts businesses. You you just you just kill the the access that they have, and and that's completely and totally unacceptable. You know, one of our texters make this point: Why do we have to make downtown something it's not? Can't it just be? downtown we keep changing things for the sake of the crooks we need to stop that you know that's actually an absolutely correct you need to stop these things you need to stop legislating to the lowest common denominator i mean here's my point if you've got five percent of the population that comes down to water street to look for trouble all right? Here's what you need to do. You need to deal with that 5%. If 90 to 95% of the people aren't causing problems, they're looking to patronize the restaurants, go to the bars, not create problems. Why do we punish that 90% or 95% or whatever it is? Because you've got you know the, the bad apples, because you've got the punks or whatever. This goes back to what I was talking about before with dealing with the problems with the the people that are committing the offenses. And yes, this means you need more cops. And I understand this is not a criticism of the police officers because they're stretched. But yeah, when you have thousands of people, for example, that are going into one of the entertainment districts, there needs to be a lot of police presence. And when you see the people that are loitering or the underage people that are drinking, I mean, right now we're talking about giving tickets to 16-year-olds. They're just going to throw those tickets away. What we need to do is change the law so the police have the authority to arrest the people that are loitering. Or violating curfew or whatever and you know haul them away in handcuffs get them off the streets have some degree of accountability but this idea that okay we're going to put up fences and things like that we're going to try to block off these areas to keep the troublemakers out my response is no let, let's not do that let's let's deal with the problems and let's deal with the criminal element, and let's deal with the people. Okay, you see people walking down the streets that have concealed guns and don't have concealed carry permits, or are felons and they're brandishing the guns? Arrest them prosecute them get them off the streets and get them out of the area to me when you talk about a security district and putting up fences and things like that you will scare lots of people off you will hurt the businesses and all you're really doing in is then taking that that criminal element and okay you're just gonna drive them somewhere different okay they'll they'll find a different place to hang out and to terrorize somewhere outside the fenced-in area so all you're doing is moving the problem what you got to do is address the problem directly and that is if you've got if you've got this criminal element that is intent on causing problems get the criminal element off the street 855-616-1620 david in milwaukee david you're on wtmj
3: good afternoon jeff my uh, recommendation is that you uh put uh social workers on every corner and let them deal with that element
2: um yes ca- so we give people counseling. Okay, the 50 of you who are loitering on the corner, um who are smoking dope and the 10 of you of that 50 who are carrying guns, let's let's talk to you about it. Let let's let's discuss why it is that you've chosen to bring a gun down here. That's the idea.
3: Huh? I agree cuz you're punishing the wrong people. Yeah. You know, the people that want to come down there and the business owners are the ones that are going to suffer the greatest from this. Uh, I happen to uh, patronize a place on 3rd Street, and the bar manager has already indicated uh, less business, less traffic since that incident sure. occurred.
2: No, no, thank, thank you. There's, there's no question about it. This this has got to – this I, – I was in an event downtown earlier this week, and a couple of the organizers were saying they had people that called up and they canceled as a result of – the they were They were worried about driving downtown because of violence. You do not want to have the streets turned over to the bad guys that That's just it and I guess again, I understand that there are venues out there where you have controlled access. Summerfest. You've got to pay to get into the grounds, but that's because there's, you know, Summerfest has a specific duration. You've got entertainment, and there there's a fee that goes into that, and part of the entertainment, the, the fee that you pay is designed to, again, help support the, the bands and things that, that are playing. So, I mean, I understand. I'm not saying that Summerfest should be free. I'm not saying that uh, Miller Miller Park American Family Field should be free. I'm not saying you should be able to walk into Fiserv. Th- those are ticketed sort of venues. But when you're talking about taking a, a chunk of the downtown and saying we're going to block this off – my question is, why are you blocking it off? Well, we're blocking it off because we want it to be safer. We want to make it more difficult for the criminal element to get in. My response is, no, you're really punishing the law-abiding citizens. Let's stop doing that. Let's just be more aggressive in dealing with the criminal element. Um, that's it. Jeff, why should I have to pay additional fees when I've always paid ta- well, already paid taxes for those sidewalks and the streets? They are public property. Hire more police officers um, and be more visible downtown you punish monetarily law-abiding citizens when there needs to be a crackdown on those that do cause the trouble they don't get a warning they're knowing they're breaking laws so arrest them put them in jail for a night or two make them pay heavy fines make them do community service work make them clean up around the downtown area it's time to um, start dealing with people who think they can do anything regardless of what the laws are. I'm absolutely against fencing off any area of downtown. I paid for the privilege when I paid my taxes to be anywhere I want to walk downtown in public areas, to which I would say, amen.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff
2: Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. All right. We hear them talking. Are they coming in? Jane was telling you about this during her newscast. The Milwaukee Health Department today has recommended that residents return to masking. As Milwaukee County has moved into the high level of COVID 19 community spread, according to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention. The mask advisory now that's the key word it is an advisory, it is not a mask mandate. The advisory applies when people are inside in public settings, regardless of vaccination status. Or past COVID-19 infection, the department says it applies to anyone older than two years old who is not prevented from wearing a mask for medical reasons. Um, masks such as KN95s and N95 respirators offer additional layers of protection. But the department said any mask that is worn consistently and snugly is better than no mask at all. Those without access to the recommended respirators can wear two masks to increase protection and then the department goes on to recommend that people get vaccinated physically distance avoid crowded spaces etc cetera, etc cetera. okay so it is not a mask mandate in that you are there's no force of law compelling you to do that but the milwaukee health department is saying okay covid cases are going up and we recommend that you choose to put on masks i was at an event in milwaukee on monday evening there were Oh gosh, in excess of 600 people. I mean in excess of of 600 people, masks were not mandatory and not a single person at the event that I was at wore wore a mask. Not a single person. I'm trying to think maybe there were I'm trying to think if anybody on the wait staff wore a mask and I I can't I don't recall it. I guess I'm not saying for sure nobody did, but if if you saw somebody wear a mask, it would have been it would have been less than 1%. So um, now, this was admittedly before the advisory was issued. But, you know, the COVID numbers have been going up. They go up. They go down. So now the health department is saying, hey, if you're inside in Milwaukee or Milwaukee County, what we want you to do is we want you to put a mask on. We think you should. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. All right. Now, there, there's no question that uh, we're in a situation where Things are not as bad with COVID as they were a couple years ago. We have the vaccines, we have the boosters, we have the boosters on top of the boosters. You have a lot of people who have not only been vaccinated, but you know, they, they've also had it as well. At the same time, and I said this the other day, I think I know more people in the last I think I know more people in the last month who have come down with COVID than I do who came down with COVID in the the last two years before that. Now, the good news is that in all cases, the people that I know who came down with COVID, it was extremely mild. I mean, either no symptoms or they describe the symptoms as kind of like being a, a, a minor cold and things like that. But I mean, obviously COVID is going around. Now, in the case of the people I know, almost everybody, I think everybody, is vaccinated. They're boosted and things like that. So they're not in the hospital. But COVID, again, appears to be having a resurgence, not that it's ever gone away. So my question is, the health department says you should mask up. If you're indoors, wear a mask. Is anybody going to do that? 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. I mean, I appreciate the advice, but honestly... I guess my sense is that the general population has moved on from this, and that people understand that there are risks that are involved here, but that as a general rule, people are willing to take the risk of, again, coming down with the latest iteration of COVID, and people are past the mask issues. Now, I appreciate that this poses a problem for folks who are immunocompromised or things like that and but my, of course my guess is if you're in that situation you probably haven't been going out a lot over the last 2 years but all right the health department says we think you should wear a mask are we over masks 8556161620 if you are going out tonight going out to your fish fry or whatever you're going to be in a restaurant going to a movie theater or whatever are you going to wear masks or have we reached a point where even understanding that covid is now apparently making a bit of a resurgence and understanding that um you know hospital admissions were up over the course of the you know last week or so are you willing to take that risk 855-616-1620 we discuss in a moment to give you some perspective, as of Monday, 397 people were hospitalized in Wisconsin with COVID-19. That was up from last Friday, 345. The pandemic peak was 2,278 on January 12th. So the, the numbers are, are moving in the wrong direction. They're, they're nowhere close to where they were at the height of the pandemic. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So the health department is recommending that if you are in a indoor public setting, you wear a a mask. Is anybody going to do that? Let's start with Lisa. Lisa, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hi. Hi. Um, Jeff, we obviously don't know the long-term effects of this yet. We haven't had the years for science to be able to gather what will happen long-term for children, for middle-aged adults, etc. We already know the million or more who have already died, and their families probably think it's a little more serious than the general public tends to think. Um, But we get to choose to wear a mask or not. Me, I advocate wearing one. Why? to protect myself, to protect my family. And should I be carrying it to protect others? The Titanic, the show of the Titanic that the Milwaukee rep put on had to cancel its last two weeks mm-hmm. of performance because of the cast contracting COVID. Yeah. Had people been masked, maybe there hadn't would not have been that type of transmission but are they out in public other places? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can we protect everybody from it? Absolutely not. So you have a chance to care about yourself and care about others. So how long are you going you to? to be, how long, how of, long
2: do you want? To, how long are you planning on wearing a mask?
0: Well, you know, I've watched in China with friends that are from China. They mask when they're not well to protect others. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that's a pretty respectful thing. I'm not sure we can get there. I don't think our country shows that kind of respect for each other.
2: But you're but you're but saying that you're going we to wear a mask. But no, out. but Lisa, you're saying you're going to wear a mask even when you're feeling well. That's what you were just saying, right? You wear a mask when you go outside.
0: If if I if I'm going not outside uh, inside if in, I'm going indoor spaces into right. a place yes indoor spaces I have masked.
2: And how how long do you plan to do that? Would be my question.
0: I think we'll watch the science play out COVID.
2: Okay, so potentially... When I go
0: into the theater, I still go to the theater. I went to the rep. I went to Titanic. I wore a mask. I chose to. Sure. Um, So for that, that's my prerogative. I can do it, and I shouldn't be ridiculed for masking.
2: Well, Lisa, thanks for calling. I don't think anybody... I, I wouldn't argue that. I guess that's not really the point of the topic. I wouldn't. I'm not arguing that you should be ridiculed for masking. I think that's an individual choice. I guess my point is, I think for the vast majority of people, given where we are in connection with the pandemic, that they've moved on from masking. Now, I, I don't disagree with you. By the way, if you're first of all, if you're feeling sick, I, I think you know that the general rule should be don't don't go out you know if if that I mean I think maybe that's one of the things we've learned with COVID I mean I don't, I don't care if you're you got COVID or you've got the flu or you've got a bad cold or whatever if you don't feel good stay home you know stay away from people to me this is more of a situation about you you're otherwise you're you're healthy there's no indication that you have COVID are you going to you know wear wear a mask and I think for the vast majority of people, and I, I don't care what you do. This isn't an advocacy thing, one way or the other. But my guess is, in many respects, I, I think maybe the the message of these health departments needs to change a little bit. Because as I said at the beginning, I, I think you know there's people that hear them talking, but they're they're not coming in because I think the vast majority of people have moved beyond the the masking situation, and the attitude is, well, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. I've I've gotten my vaccinations. I've I've gotten both doses of vaccination. I've gotten my booster. In many cases, you know, people have gotten the other edition of the booster, so they've got they've done all of this sort of stuff, and, and yet I acknowledge that you know people are still getting COVID. My, I mean, the good thing about this, like I say, is for most people, especially if you've been vaccinated and boosted, the, these latest iterations aren't putting you in the hospital. I'm not saying it can't put somebody in the hospital, but for most people, it it's not. It's not a life-threatening sort of thing but I guess I don't disagree with you I think people have to make individual decisions but when you get the Milwaukee Board of Health the Milwaukee Health Department saying I, I think you know people need to mask up I would be curious if you went to events tonight in Milwaukee what percentage of people would be following that advice my guess is it would be a small percentage let's talk to Rick Rick you're on WTMJ
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Rick. Uh, I, I agree with, I, I should agree with Lisa, the previous caller, in the sense that, I, I, you know, one has to wonder uh, how a- anti-vaxxing sort of um, ideology or philosophy sort of came about. And I think what happened is, and what it indicates is, I, I've always compared it to um, the laws on smoking indoors. Uh, we prohibited that for the for the safety of others. Uh, the laws on drunken driving, we prohibited that for the safety of others. And so I think the idea that, uh, you know, my wife and I are fully vaccinated, I, I'm confident that, uh, that basically if we did contract COVID, that, that we would get through it fairly decently. But it, I think it boils down to the, the philosophy of many of, of doing for themselves and not for others. Um, it boils down to masks essentially send the signal, that I, i'm not just looking out for myself but i'm also um uh, showing that basically i am trying to prevent uh spread if i'm asymptomatic or a lot of people don't show signs at all who's to say they're not spreading this disease so it's a catch-22 i mean essentially you're feeling all right and you you go out in public and there's a good chance that nothing's going to happen but there's there's more there's more than just individual liberties I think a lot of the anti-masking and anti, or the backlash against those who were cautionary against COVID, were a result of economic forces. Uh, they are a result of so, Rick. Let me stop you for a second. Do you wear, Rick? Uh, do you
2: wear? Do you so? Then do you wear a mask when you are indoors, out in public?
4: Uh, absolutely, absolutely, 100. Yeah. percent And you know, and here's the thing: I've never been confronted. People yeah. say that people uh, essentially. I've never been confronted about it. People have been very good about it. Uh, I've yet to see a negative situation arise. But I think until we fully understand, as Lisa said, she, she said something very important. We don't know about um, the long-term effects of COVID-19. We don't know that yet. And so even people who they say now long-haulers traditionally showed very little signs or, or negative uh, effects of COVID-19. In other words, very they were very mild cases, and yet they perpetually have symptoms. Mm-hmm. We know that it affects vital organs at times. So mm-hmm. it's just too early. I mean, okay. it's always 2020. 20. Okay, Rick, thanks
2: for the call. I, I, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm going to cut you off, but I, I get the idea. And and I think, and I said this at the beginning, two years ago, I, I think there is going to be a percentage of the population that always wears masks mo- moving forward. And, and I, don't, I can't tell you whether that number is going to be 2% or 5% or, or 10%, but I, I think that that's what it's going to be. I think the vast majority of people, it, it's just, it's kind of like, I I don't know. If you have somebody that has peanut allergies, for example, um, and and it's, you know, that's that's very, very incredibly transmissible and it can be a a really big deal. But yet at the same time, we we don't we haven't banned peanuts and and things like that. Now, obviously, if somebody knows that there's somebody out there that has a peanut allergy, well, you you try to not eat the peanuts around them. But there is a, a certain risk that people assume by going about their their daily business. And that that's just it. Now I have no doubt, for example, that people who are immune compromised, their their lives are probably a lot more difficult now than they were before COVID because it's just something else that's out there to, to worry about. And I appreciate that and respect it. And I guess for a lot of those individuals, my guess is they're not going out into large public settings anymore. They're not the ones going into restaurants because they are in fact uncomfortable about this. I don't think there's any justification at all for, again, if somebody chooses to wear a mask, to be mocked or anything like that. But I think the reality is that the vast majority of people have simply decided, all right, COVID is something we're going to have to figure out how to live with. Here's some of our texts. Jeff, no more masks for me until I see numerous research reports from both sides that verify um, that masks prevent um, infection. Um, uh, Jeff, these callers are saying we don't know the long-term effects of COVID, but they're okay with not knowing the long-term effects of the vaccine. Uh, well, there's an issue with that too, but I think it's I mean, I think people should be vaccinated. I've said that before. Jeff, you should be encouraging people to support recommendations. Okay, well, that that's all well and good, and people can make their decision. My point is, you come out with these recommendations, and my sense is, the vast majority of people that hear them, for whatever reasons, they're not coming in with them. They're not accepting them anymore, and maybe... Maybe that's partly to blame for all the mixed messages that were coming out from the health community over the course of the last several years. And, you know, maybe that's an issue with it as well. Jeff, I'm done with this. No more masks. Um, Jeff, I'm over this. No masks and no more shots for me. Jeff, I haven't worn a mask in a year. I have no intention of ever wearing one again. I am done. Well, people are going to be deciding that for themselves. Health department says in Milwaukee, they recommend if you go inside, you wear masks. Be curious to know how many people are going to follow that particular piece of advice. I mentioned this earlier, but it, it's, it's pretty bleak on the stock market. To give you a perspective that we're we're in historically bad territory. The Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ all down again big today. It, it looks like unless things turn around dramatically in the next hour or two, all those indexes or indexes are going to be in, in a bear market. Um, to give you an idea, the uh, this will be, unless something turns around dramatically in the next 90 minutes, this will be the, um, the S&P and the NASDAQ will have lost – um, have gone down for seven weeks in a row that's the longest streak of weekly losses since 2001 so you got to go back 21 years and that's after the dot-com bubble burst for the dow jones industrial average it's headed towards its eighth straight weekly loss you have to go back to 1932 to find a, a similar period so you got about go 90 years so we are we are in his when it comes to prolonged dropping. We are in um, historic, historic territory. And I think, you know, again, I understand that for some people, if you've got a long time horizon, it's no big deal. The the people I hear from a lot, though, are the people who are close to retirement and in retirement who, you know, have now seen, uh, okay, and again, I appreciate it's an unrealized loss, but they've seen, you know, their portfolio drop you know fifteen twenty percent, maybe more, if they you know didn't have a, enough of a conservative mix, but everything's heading down now and uh if you wonder why the if you wonder why there's so many people who have put their life savings and done the right thing and invested and saved money who are unhappy now, well, you just have to look and find out figure out that well you've got twenty to twenty five percent less than you had just a few months ago, and I think everybody should understand the stock market goes up and down, and I'm sure it will come back at some point in time, but if you've got a narrow time horizon, uh, this is a particularly precarious time, and it's not getting any better. Again, bad bad week in the stock market, bad couple months in the stock market, bad year to date in the stock market. All right. There's a piece in the local newspaper, and it was written. it's written by two... I, I think prominent left wing Milwaukee writers. One guy is Michael Rosen, who's used to be the, the union head at, at MATC and and Charlie D. who was a prominent you know liberal in, in Milwaukee for, for years and years. And and that that's fine. They've written this piece and I'm not gonna read the whole thing. But the headline is: Hey, Milwaukee leadership, just say no to the Republican National Convention. Now we all know that Milwaukee is one of the two finalists, along with Nashville, to bring the Republican convention. It would sometime be in July or August of 2024. I'm not going to read this whole article, but it's it's a um, well, it's a lengthy sort of rant about how evil Republicans are. I'll, I'll just give you a hint of this. Why would anybody who cares about Milwaukee support hosting the Republican National Convention? The majority of Milwaukee citizens are black and lat- Latinx, while the GOP has morphed into an extremist organization, home to violent racists, conspiracy mongers, and insurrectionists. Uh, President Donald Trump openly courted white supremacist Proud Boys in the KKK, etc., etc. Republicans don't even try to hide behind dog-whistle euphemisms any longer. Rather, they give full voice voice to revolting and un-American neo-Nazi beliefs. Republican-controlled states have used the twin lies of voter fraud and a stolen election to disenfranchise black and brown voters by rewriting electoral rules, gerrymandering districts to ensure Republican control, and even rescinding voting rights. It goes on and on and on. And it's kind of like this litany of, you know, every one of, like, the the AOC, why we should hate Republican things. And it goes on and on and on. Um, In considering the RNC for Milwaukee, recall that Republican politicians and business leaders have waged a relentless war on Milwaukee citizens, public education system, and election administration. It goes on and on and on. Proponents of the RNC parrot the myth that hosting the convention will bring fame and fortune to our city. However, actual economic benefits to host cities have been negligible, um, and it goes on and on and on to talk about that. Money that's spent by convention goers generally replaces or crowds out money that would not have been spent by other visitors to Milwaukee or by hometown residents who stay away from downtown when large conventions arrive, according to this study. Then it goes on and on, and you get the idea, and it's, page after page and paragraph after paragraph, ranting about how evil Republicans are. um, Inviting a political party that caters to white supremacists like the Proud Boys, the Klan, and the Oath Keepers will not benefit Milwaukee citizens. And what message does it send to our children that we are willing to sacrifice our civic values and self-respect to add largesse to a few political consultants, national hotel chains, and Airbnb owners? Milwaukee should just say no to the Republican National Convention Authoritarians and white supremacists are not welcome here. It's time to put the people of the city and our commitment to middle-class jobs, equality, and democracy first. Okay, and I didn't read the whole thing, but, but you get the idea behind it. Now, of course, city leaders are are very into trying to bring the Republican National Convention to Milwaukee. Uh, the idea and the estimates are that about 50,000 people would come into town organizers claim a 200 million dollar economic boost whether it actually turns out to be all of that is is of course an open question our number 855-616-1620 that's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line okay the angry left is saying to city leaders you don't want the republican national convention here republicans are evil they are racist We don't want them here. Yes, they'd bring a bunch of money, but that really wouldn't benefit the city because people would be coming and staying at all those hotels anyways. And so it's actually it's not more money. It's just a different kind of money. So we don't want those evil, racist Republicans here. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's. It's very much up in the air whether the RNC is coming here, and I think Milwaukee's problems with crime are not helping that. Nevertheless, I think it would be incredible, an incredible boost to the city to have a major convention that comes here. And this idea of saying, well, you know, we, we don't think it would really be that much of an economic boon. Now, I don't know if it's 200 million bucks, but the reality is you're going to fill up hotels, you're going to fill up restaurants for the better part of a week, you're going to fill up bars, you're going to have all the rental car business, all that sort of stuff that, you know, what you want to do, that's what you want from having a a major convention that's been brought into your city that's one of the reasons i thought we were spending all this money to try to expand the milwaukee convention center downtown the wisconsin convention center because we want to attract large conventions so i guess the question is are republicans just so evil and racist that their money is no good 855-616-1620 what do you think i think and it, I, it's, it's difficult. I know what I'm about to say is, is, a, is a big statement, because trust me, I read a lot of things during the course of the week. I think this is one of the most stupid, irrational, knee-jerk things that I have seen, if not ever, certainly seen in a long time. I did not object, matter of fact, I was thrilled that the Democratic National Convention was scheduled to come here in 2020, not my side of the aisle, all sorts of policy issues with a number of the people that would have been here and taken a part in that. But you know what? It would have been great for the city of Milwaukee to have people there spending money. I at least am open enough to acknowledge that, even though, like I say, it's not my side of the aisle. For people who have taken the position that they're evil, we don't want them, I think that's crazy. 855-616-1620. We discuss. We discuss. (laughs) 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I know that there are, are some on the angry left who who feel this way. I guess I was just kind of struck that you've got, you know, two people who are willing to put their names behind this thing that it appears in the local newspaper. We don't want the Republicans. Republicans are evil. Republicans are racist. Republicans are white supremacists. How dare we let them come in the city? Don't you realize the Republicans have declared war on the city of Milwaukee for years and years? Um, they've made us be accountable for how we spend money and things like that. I don't want to go down that route. But the idea is we don't even want those evil Republicans coming to our city and bringing $200 million. And even if they spend $200 million, it's really not new money that's coming in because that weekend in July or August, all our downtown hotels are going to be full, anyways, which is kind of ludicrous. 855 616 1620. That's the Accunet Mortgage talk and text line. As I said at the beginning, I, I just, this sort of hatred, and, and that's what it is, is just absolutely beyond me. And I understand you see it on, on the right. And the left, but this sort of hatred and this sort of stereotyping and this sort of angry lashing out really gets us nowhere. And I appreciate that there is stuff on the right to do it, but this is the left's version of that. When they announced the DNC was coming here in twenty twenty, that's not my side of the aisle. And and candidly, I thought, oh my gosh, can you imagine some of the left wing wackos that are going to be given like speaking times and some of the stuff that's going to be there? But that's okay. That, that's fine, this is a free country, that's great. And I thought from the perspective of this community, it'd be absolutely great to have that event here because if nothing else, it would bring a, a huge financial benefit the city would be featured on TV, it would be a good thing. So even though it's not my side of the aisle, 100% in favor of it. Sorry it didn't work out that way because of COVID. But this idea that, oh, we hate those Republicans, those Republicans are so evil, we don't want them coming here, really. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, you use the word ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. But not only that, it's dangerous and it's false. It would be uh, similar to if um, when a Democratic National Convention came in 2020, there were people saying, oh, we can't have them because they support racist groups like Black Lives Matter. It's ludicrous and it's not helpful to the city in more ways than one, specifically financially. And um, I just can't believe someone would actually come out publicly and say that, it's well, beyond me as well.
2: And thanks for calling Mike. Well, I mean, I, I think, I mean, there there are, are in certain circles, I mean, again, feeding sort of the left-wing hate machine that, that that's what this is out there, and it's sort of every stereotypical thing. And all those Republicans that are coming here, you know, they're nothing but racists and they're white supremacists and all these things, and, and we don't want their money, and this is what the Republican Party is all about. It's an extremist organization. Okay. Okay, that's I, I I mean, I understand that's the viewpoint that some people have and they're entitled to have that. I hope I hope that that's the view of, of a fringe number of people, of, of the kind of left-wing angry extremists that are out there. I, I would hope that common sense would prevail, and I would hope that there, for example, the elected officials are sitting there saying, well, you know, we, we want, we want big conventions to come here. That's like I said earlier, that's why we're expanding the, the convention center and things like that, because we want big conventions, because we believe that that is a good, thing. Jeff, I'm on the left. I'm all for the GOP coming to Milwaukee. I'll even put my name behind it. Jeff, I lean left. I welcome the RNC to Milwaukee. It's like saying, cancel the Super Bowl in Green Bay because the Vikings are in it. Um, and, you know, one of our texters is saying, hey, I had a class with one of these guys at MATC, and all they did was rant about politics the entire semester. No, I, I understand that there's, there's angry left-wingers that are out there but you, you should know that I think they're becoming more and more emboldened to, to go public. And, you know, this is one where I don't care if you're on the left or right or in the center. I, I think that, you know, you should be out there hoping against hope that the RNC decides it's going to bring 50,000 people to this city and bring all the money. Now, look, I also understand that it's a two-edged sword, because if the Republican National Convention does, in fact, come to Milwaukee, you're going to have all the protesters that are going to show up, and that's going to be on TV as well. So it's always kind of a mixed bag. But I think this would be a huge get. And candidly, I could not think of anything that would be more interesting, just like When the DNC was supposed to be here, I think some of my bosses said, you want want to go down and broadcast from there? And I said, yes, absolutely. I think it would be fascinating to be able to describe what goes on, even though it's it's not my side of the aisle. Same thing is true here. I, I just think it would be an incredible get for the city to be able to bring the Republican National Convention here, and I would love to broadcast from that as well. Let's talk to Alex in Port Washington. Alex, you're on WTMJ yeah hi yeah i'm a staunch republican and uh at first when i heard about the convention coming to milwaukee i was really excited
3: but i i'm really concerned because of the way milwaukee's being mismanaged right now it kind of there's a possibility that this can turn out to be like you know the daily thing mayor Daly in chicago
1: with the rioting because i'm sure the democrats are going to try to disrupt this thing
3: you know, and so I'm, I really am kind of concerned that we're not going to be able to handle it, and and we're going to come out looking really, really bad. And the other thing is, why do we want to re- reward a poorly run democratic city with this convention? I guess that's the other statement.
2: I'm well, wondering. well, Alex, my my point would be because you know I, I understand politics are blue and red, but but money is also green. I, I and first of all, I I think you have a legitimate point that there will be disruptions. That's just the nature of the business. There's going to be disruptions at, at the DNC a, as well. There will be disruptions, and there will be security challenges, and it's like, how do you deal with the protests? Does people in on both sides get increasingly more unhinged? At the same time, I guess, I don't see it as necessarily rewarding a Democrat-run city. I, I think it it's rewarding a, a region and an area where we all live, and we want to see thrive, and we want to see prosper. And I, I guess it's just disappointing to me that you have some people that are are so wrapped up in, in their politics and their politics of hate or whatever and, and the other side we've got to demonize them if you're a republican you've got to be a, a a racist and you've got to be a white supremacist and you know we we don't want you here that they don't recognize that you know there, there's different viewpoints and not everybody who votes republican is a racist or a white supremacist and that you don't necessarily need to demonize in that particular fashion. And, yeah, if you want to have the Republican Party, and they're, if the National Republican Party is good enough to come here and they're good enough to bring 50,000 people and they're good enough to spend money, the answer should be thank you very much. Do not go anywhere. We've got a lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program, including... Of course, Pop Culture Corner, and then the future of work. Something is going on at a big Milwaukee employer over the course of the next month or two. My question is how will the employees respond? All that's coming up. Don't go anywhere.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner620. I actually sent out a a link to this, this rant that appears in the local Newspaper from a couple prominent members of Milwaukee's left saying the city of Milwaukee should not be incurred. We don't want to bring those evil, racist Republicans to Milwaukee. You know, we get very little benefit from it. I guess my comment was, if anybody had any doubts about how some of the left view Republicans, this should put the matter to rest. It is unfortunate to me that if Milwaukee loses out on the RNC, there will be some people who will be celebrating. Hey, we just turned our back on two hundred million dollars, but we showed those Republicans a thing or two. We said we didn't want them in Milwaukee. Kind of a a disappointing and at least in my opinion short-sighted attitude. But if you want to see the story, I got a link to it. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. In March of twenty twenty, the world changed in many respects. The pandemic broke, and first of all, we had, you know, government that came in and ordered lots of businesses shut down. We're still seeing the effects of, of that. And you had a number of private employers who on their own, without having to be ordered by Tony Evers, there are a number of private businesses who decided for whatever reasons they were going to change the way that they did business. And one of those ways is that they began allowing people to work remotely. The The basic idea... I think uh, for a, a lot of, like, for example, downtown office buildings was you have to come down and you have to, you have to come to downtown, you have to come into the office, you have to work from nine to five and then you can go home. And what we found over the course of the last couple years is, first of all, there's some businesses that they still need people in there. But for a lot of businesses, they found that they were able to function as well and, and maybe even better by allowing people to, to work from home. Now that's not a universal thing. One of the things we also found is that for the majority of workers, I think they, they enjoyed having the option to work from home. Certainly not everybody, but they enjoyed being able to work from home. Well, I I understand that the COVID numbers go up and down, but the the pandemic, at least the height of the pandemic, is definitely over. And a number of companies have been going through the process of trying to say, where do we go from here? Because we we know people can work from home. We would like them in the office. But at the same time, you know, we we recognize that employees want to work from home and want to enjoy themselves and want to be able to have that flexibility of, not having to get up and not having to, you know, have the expense of driving in and not having to have the expense of trying to find a place to park and not having to uh, wear, you know office clothes and things of, of the like. So employers have been like balancing out this new paradigm that's out there where you have a number of people who've decided, like I say, that they want to, they want to be able to work from from home. So how do you balance that? Well, Northwestern Mutual, which is of course, if not the area's largest employer, one of the largest employers in the area. They um, just invested a ton of money in in building a a new facility in downtown Milwaukee, which is absolutely spectacular. They've also got a a campus in suburban Franklin. And Northwestern Mutual has essentially allowed their employees, in many cases, to, to work from home they announced a couple months ago that they're going to phase in their their return-to-work environment. And I think they have about 6,000 employees. And as of last March, they had brought 3,000 back. And they, they said, okay, now what we hope is by June, we hope to have everybody back in our various campuses. So um, that's – that's the goal that they have. So the, the work at home option kind of decreases. Which oh, is, okay, that, that's all well and good. I guess the question becomes, though. How are employees going to respond to that? Not just at NML, but but all over, because employees have gotten used to the ability to work at home. If not working at home full time, five days a week, employees have gotten used to working at home, you know, two or three days a week. And now more employers are starting to bring them back to the office. Downtown offices are still downtown during the day, I don't know that it's fair to say it's a ghost town. But it's a shadow of what it was uh, a few months ago, a few years ago. There's no question that downtown has not come back, in part because downtown depends on people who don't live downtown but work downtown coming in there. That's That has not happened yet, and a lot of downtown offices have just not adapted to that. They're not forcing their employees to come back, or if they're bringing their employees back, they're not bringing them back um, five days a week. Maybe it's a sort of hybrid thing where they say, okay, you've got to come back a couple days a week, and then you, know, you can work at home three days a week. You can uh, come into the office two days a week. It's that hybrid sort of thing which is going on. So NM Northwestern Mutual is now in the process of saying okay we're we're trying to bring everybody back and I suspect that that's going to be a bit of a culture shock for you know the se- several thousand employees who've gotten used to working at home and gotten used to I don't know how that helps out maybe a little bit with like child care responsibilities and pets and things of the like our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty that is the acuant mortgage talk and text line see I think to me, this is one of the most interesting things moving forward, given the fact that it, from the perspective of employers, it's, it's deaf employees, it's a seller's market. You know, there's not enough people for whatever reasons to fill the jobs that are out there. And one of the things I think that is, I think, a prime consideration for people in deciding where they want to work is whether or not there is that work-at-home option. Now, I know for some industries that just doesn't work. I I get it. I understand. If you're an air conditioning repair person, well, you you can't work at home. You have to be out on the road. I, I understand that. If you're in retail and your job is as a cashier or a stocker of shelves or something. I get it. You, you've got to go into work. But there's all sorts of jobs where people have been able to work at home over the course of the last couple of years, and my guess is that they have grown to like it. So for those of you who have had the option of working at home over the course of the last couple of years, working remotely, or maybe you haven't had the option but you want it, How important is this? And if your employer says, okay, here's the deal. You got to be here Monday through Friday. We're going back to the same schedule we had pre-pandemic. How will people respond? How will you respond to that? Is it one of those deals where, okay, this was a nice thing. I'm glad it lasted as long as it did. Now I'm going to get used to getting up in the morning and putting on my coat and tie and going into work. Or is it going to be, you know, what i do i can do from home and if my current employer doesn't want to let me do it maybe i can find some other employer who will 8556161620 that's the aculent mortgage talk and text line i think moving forward that this this desire to work at home not for everybody but for at least a decent chunk of the workforce i think it's it's real And I think it's going to be something that employers are going to have to figure out how to deal with. 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Here's a couple texts before we go to the calls. Jeff, people are leaving my company for remote jobs. You can't argue with them for getting more flexibility and ultimately a better work-life balance. My company allows Fridays at home but will not go 100% remote, and it's going to continue to lose quality people in a tight job market. Times have changed, and employers need to keep up or lose out on retaining that recruiting new talent. Jeff? um i'm already considering looking for a new job closer to home or from home i my boyfriend works in a call center let's let's charlie can we turn down the, the background music there please um jeff i think working from home is for the privileged right i don't know exactly what that means exactly the privilege might be if if again, from an employer's, an employee perspective, right now it's a seller's market. And if there's all sorts of different choices and you have people who feel strongly about wanting to work at at home, well, all right, then employers need to figure out a way to adapt. Jeff, I think employers need to wait until gas prices go down. I know people who have to drive 20 to 30 miles or more to work and they are thankful right now that they can save all that money. Well, that's a, that is a factor that's there. Jeff, employees that do not go into the office will be the first ones let go when the next economic downturn forces companies to reduce staff. Maybe. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mike in Pewaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hey, hello. Hi. uh, So I've got a comment. Um, Employers have been hiring people Uh, Far away from the office. They could be hiring people in a different state because they can work remote And or people have been taking jobs that maybe are Oh, maybe a couple hours and work. So going into the office one day a week is not a problem But if employers you know change that and want them to come into the office on a daily basis That's going to affect a lot of uh, those uh those situations
2: yeah no i mean, thanks, i think i mean thanks for, i mean i think this is one of these these balances now look the, the people that, that sign your paychecks are the ones that get to make those decisions about what the working conditions are going to be. So no, no argument with that. But I think this is a big issue for employers because there's a lot of people who have gotten used to the whole idea of uh, they're being able to work from home. I, you know, I'm always torn on this, this whole thing because there, there's definitely a value to being in the workplace, to to interacting with your, your teammates, with your colleagues, you know, with your coworkers, and, and things like that. There's a definite value to it. But on the flip side of that is for people. Whose job allows them to work remotely and they're good employees and th- they don't need that supervision. I, I think there-, there there has to be sort of that balance th- that ends up being there. And again, I-, I see both sides, but from the employer's perspective, the days of just pat- putting down arbitrary rules, I-, I think in many respects they're gone because, particularly if you've got a good employee, somebody that you want to keep. And that employee's gotten used to the idea of, you know, hey, I, 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 I can do, I've proven over the last year and a half that I can work from home and I can be productive and I, I don't want to. Drive, you know, 30 miles to, you know, an office that's downtown or something. And if you're not willing, Mr. Employer, to let me do it, well, then I've got employers B and C and D who would love to have somebody like me. I, I think that that's going to be the challenge moving forward. And it's one of the reasons why I think the, for for not all jobs, but for many jobs, the, the five day a week got to be into the office. I, I think that that's just a thing of the past. Sam in East Troy, Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good. What do you think?
3: Um, yeah, so, I mean, as an employee who at the beginning of the pandemic was was in the office, uh, I'm a sales rep for a logistics company and now I've moved over to solar energy industry. Um, having that significant uh, work-life balance given back to me at this point is almost a part of my compensation package,
4: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Um, if my employer was to force me to go back to work full time, as you said, there are plenty of employers out there who probably will give me a significant pay raise and allow me to work remote. So I do think, especially in the sales sector, you're yeah. going to see some pushback. There.
2: No, I think you're. I mean, thanks. For, I think you're absolutely right. And again, there's, and, and I, my prediction is at least in the the short term i think you're going to see more employers going to like a hybrid model actually i have a text here jeff i work at northwestern mutual we are currently working a hybrid schedule where they'd like us to come in three days a week so far many people like it but there are some who want to stay fully remote and they need to work that out with their manager yeah i think it i think one of the things you're going to start to see moving forward is that that hybrid sort of model to kind of ease back into this but you know one one of the other things is you know from the perspective of downtowns i'm not just talking about downtown milwaukee this is affecting other urban areas a lot of them if not ghost towns like i was saying earlier are are dead compared to what they were because You know all these businesses that exist to provide lunch to downtown workers, for example, that the restaurants, that that's that's it, or the the downtown businesses that exist to service in large part the influx of workers. They're still struggling because there's just there's not that many workers that are are back. And for every, you know, it's also a mixed it's a mixed bag for employers because on the one hand you say okay we want people back in the workforce, but on the other hand if you've got three floors rented in a, in a downtown office building, you know, maybe you can work out it so you only need one of those floors so you can save that money. I mean, I think I think we've seen the future, and I think the future is definitely more remote work. Kelly and Slinger. Kelly, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Kelly. So I quit... I, hi. I actually quit my job um, after 10 years as a state employer, because they would not let me continue working from home. And I worked at a job where it was very easy to do that and proved that I could do it. But they wouldn't let me. Found a new job shortly after. But the interesting thing is that the employers that I left very quickly changed their policy and allowed everyone else to work from home. So they knew that they had to adapt to the changing work environment.
2: Right. Well, see, and, that, and that's, you know, and it might be different, Kelly, in a different sort of job market. I mean, we, we've been, you know, we've been through those periods of time where, you know, people just couldn't find jobs. There weren't jobs that were out there. This, this is different. I mean, employers are desperate to find good employees. And assuming your industry is such that it doesn't make any difference physically where you are five days a week. Yeah. I mean, employers almost have to adapt or just like you, they're, they're going to lose good employees for whom working remotely is a big deal
5: yeah absolutely and and i think like your one of your previous callers said i work now for a company where there are people from all over the country i have people that work from texas that work from california we're all over the place and that seems to be the way of the future
2: is why was working from home, if I if I can ask you, why was working from home so important to you that you were willing to walk from a job that you had for ten years?
5: Well, there were a couple of different factors. Um, obviously, COVID is what what shut everything down, and after a while, it I just kind of been adapted to yeah. my way of life. It worked for first and foremost it worked for my family and right. thats i always said that what was best for my family was what what i was going to stick with and um i just found that i was much more productive at home i yeah. didn't have the distractions of of uh, you know office workers and things of that nature and i just i i loved it and i yeah. I, I got it yeah i wanted to continue with that yeah, yeah.
2: no no thanks for, i i thanks for sharing i appreciate that it i mean I get it, and like i said i 'm getting some texts from people who say well i can't work from i understand there's some jobs that you can 't work remotely from i i I get it and and that 's just the nature of the the job that you 're in and if If working remotely is is a big deal to you, well, okay, maybe you don 't want to be a roofer because you know roofers have to go out and put roofs on people 's houses so i mean I, I understand all that, but there's a lot of people who i i think up until two years ago. Never really considered the idea that they, they could work from home or that the technology exists to let them be productive, or they never thought, hey, they, they want to do it. Now that they've been forced into doing it because of COVID and the pandemic, it's going to be tough to, you know, put that, put the genie back in the bottle now, now that the genie is out. So I, I think this is going to be a challenge for employers. My guess is, like I say before, short term, short term, it's going to be maybe some sort of hybrid thing. Long term, don't exactly know, but as these companies try to bring people back to the the office model, I I think they've got to be flexible or else they're going to find that just like our last caller, Kelly, um, some people simply say, you know what, I I don't want to do this. And if you insist on this policy, that's fine. I want to wish you well. I'm going to shake your hand and then I'm going to move on. I'm getting swamped with texts about the, the whole question of working at home and Um, Many of them are on this tone. Jeff, I have more than a handful of friends that work, especially in the IT area, some at Northwestern Mutual. Several of them have left the company for jobs at Google and other places throughout the world that let them work hybrid. Um, And That's the point a number of people are saying. They're saying, hey, you know, what we find is we we come into the office, we put on a headset, we talk to people all over the world. Why can't we do that from our kitchen or our bedroom? Interesting question.
1: It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text
2: Line 855-616-1620. And now here is Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner Time brought to you by Delicious Frozen Pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermos is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. All right, for Pop Culture Corner this week and every week, we also have a Palermo's prize package to give away. Try saying that three times fast. One participant, one caller is going to get a certificate for a couple free palermo's pizzas palermo's pizza pizza cutter some freezer bags and all sorts of other stuff as well all right like the big voice guy says this is the point in the week where we put aside the heavy lifting and we stop talking about politics and the war in ukraine and what's going on in the economy and all that and we try to have a little bit of fun sometimes we talk about sports sometimes music sometimes tv sometimes movies sometimes travel today the pop culture corner topic comes from the world of food. Okay, so here, story this week, kind of unfortunate. Marty's Pizza, which has been an institution, it's been on Blue Mound Road for 65 years. Okay? Business started in 1957, changed owners in 1980. The the location, the, the thing with Marty's Pizza, if you ever had it, it's it's rectangular. They they serve it in a rectangle. It's actually, it it is very, very good. No question about it. They announced that today is going to be the last day for the Marty's Pizza in Brookfield. They've got a Delafield location. They're going to continue to keep open. And the reason that they're closing is because they said they just can't get enough help. That's that's it. Can't find enough employees to continue operating. They said they tried to offer competitive wages, but they just can't get enough staff. And so they're they're throwing in the towel, which is, you know, it's too bad. It's kind of the reality. But this is something that has been happening to restaurants on a variety of reasons. Uh, I mean, the restaurant industry has always been a challenging industry. You know, uh, there's there's no question. And what's happened is you've had really really hot restaurants that thought that you thought that they'd be there forever, and then public's taste change or whatever, or there's a change in management, whatever, and and they end up closing. Then of course you had the, the pandemic, and that forced a lot of restaurants to close because they couldn't stay open, and they tried to survive with carryout and things like that. Some made it, some haven't, and now. Now that the pandemic is subsiding and people are starting to go out and dine again, now the problem, like with Marty's Pizza, is that they just can't find enough employees to keep the restaurant open and you hear that. So lots and lots of restaurants, places that you just absolutely love, places that have been around forever, you're finding that they're gone. So I thought in recognition of the, this this institution, and again, they're, the restaurant in Delafield is gonna stay open, but the one in Brookfield, that's closing, the one on Blue Mound Road, in recognition of, of that, I thought we'd take a walk in the Wayback Machine here on Pop Culture Corner this week and talk about restaurants, gone but not forgotten. A restaurant that has closed that you really 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 miss 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line obviously going out to dinner is a is a big deal around here maybe it was like the the local fast food restaurant maybe it was a fine dining restaurant maybe it was your favorite place to go for Friday fish fries but gone but not forgotten a place that has closed that you really 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 miss Back with your calls and texts in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner, gone but not forgotten. All right, let's go through some of them before we go to the calls. Wooden Goose, Mequon. Wooden Goose was one of the best places for breakfast around. Loman Steakhouse in Menominee Falls. The Pig and Whistle on Capitol Drive. Yeah, that's right across the street from where I'm sitting. Um, people will remember that. Uh, boy, if you grew up and you went if you went to high school, if you went to Shorewood High School, you hung out at the Pig and Whistle, you went to Nicolay like I did, you hung out at the Milky Way Drive-In, which is now Cops on Port Washington Road. Jeff, I miss Etzel's in Germantown. Best fish fry ever. Jeff, I miss Acapulco Restaurant on 6th and National. Best authentic Mexican food that I have ever eaten. Jeff, for me, it's John Ernst Cafe in the Boulevard Inn. Yeah, John Ernst Cafe was, of course, at a time you had three great German restaurants in town, Carl Roche's, John Ernst Cafe and Mater's. And they were just institutions. And now you're in a situation where two of those three have closed. Jeff, I miss Country Kitchen. I used to hang out at country kitchens all the time when I was in college. Um, 855-616-1620. Okay, let's start with Chris in Eagle. Chris, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. My One of the ones I missed the most was Captain Steakhouse. <laughs> I yeah. grew up on that. I loved it. I would just eat the salad bar and a little... Red chips
2: with the cheese fondue. The, the, that was my the, the cheese fondue. I mean, it was just from a cholesterol perspective, it was a heart attack waiting to happen. But yeah, it was like cheese soup or something. I spent. Oh yeah. I spent many a misbegotten Friday and Saturday night at the various Captain Steak joints, which were owned by Marks you know, um, um, and um, the Marcus Company. And I, I, I used to hang out at the one by Northridge back when there was a Northridge, and then later on the one at Juno Village. And but they had them all over. They were just great. Now, thanks yeah, card. they did. I love Yeah, no, I can't. A- absolutely. No, I, I just, um, yes, and somebody just texted in about Captain's. When I was a kid. We went to Captain's, and they used to have this pirate chest where if you were a kid, you could reach in and take gifts. I, I don't remember that, but I definitely remember the cheese fondue. Let's talk to Jonathan in Wauwatosa. Jonathan, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon. How's
2: it going? Good. Okay, although this is making me hungry. Place that's gone but not forgotten. Place that you miss.
4: Uh, Ruckers off of Blue Mound Road.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was, you know, that was, I mean, kind of sort of like an Applebee's or a TGIF's or something like that, but I would say slightly better.
4: Yeah, correct, their burgers, their shakes, and then, uh, when, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go there, we'd get that free cookie, uh,
2: <laughs> we order the kid's meal. Um,
4: so yeah, and then, you know, I took my kids there, they experienced it, um...
2: Yeah, no, it's it's had, great. Uh, ...food
4: there, and then yeah. And uh yeah, so good times there. So, yeah.
2: yeah, they were fun, No, thank, thanks for the call. I was thinking you know, we were talking about Fuddruckers out there, a place that I remember used to be called it, it's now it's now a Walgreens pharmacy. It's called the Halfway House and it was Kitty Corner from Brookfield Square on Blue Mound Road and um um uh Moreland Road. And it was it was it, they called it the halfway house because it used to be like some old, like, stagecoach stop or something like that between Milwaukee, halfway between Milwaukee and wherever. But it was it just, it just was a great place. I used to go there for fish fries all the time, and they had a guy that played the piano and stuff. It was just a lot of fun. That's been gone for quite a while now. Jim in Theensville. Jim, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hey, Jeff. How are you doing?
2: I am well, thank you. Okay, where's your uh, Gone But Not Forgotten? Shaky's Pizza. Oh, which one did you used to go to? And the for? reason I like Shake,
4: we uh, uh, went to the one on National.
2: Okay, sure, got it.
4: Yeah, and uh, the reason I loved it is back in the day when I was much smaller
1: uh
4: <laughs> on your birthday they used to give you the, the the little root beer mug the small little root beer mug right and today is my birthday so when you brought up gone but not forgotten i thought of shakies wow. right away because i still have my little shaky's
2: mug okay jim I, I, I mean everybody around here we we always love shakies and since it's your birthday tell you what you are the winner let me give you a birthday gift as well you're the winner of our palermo's pizza giveaway for the week okay there you go. Happy birthday. I appreciate it. That's, and we'll have another winner next week, courtesy of Palermo's Pizza. Yeah, there were Shakey's that were all over. thing I remember about Shakey's, too, is they used to have, like, for lunch, they'd have, a, a, a like, a buffet. And it was really actually cheap. You got pizza, and you got the salad bar and all, and that was pretty darn good. Um, Jeff, I miss the Ground Round on Blue Mount. I used to hang out at the Ground Round in Glendale, the one on Port Washington Road, Silver Spring. I, I miss them as well. Jeff, I miss Ponderosa. Um, yeah, Jeff, I miss Farrell's ice cream parlor. Yeah. Farrell's was big at Northridge and Southridge. My very close friend, Steve used to work at the one in, at Northridge. I I always remember they had this thing called a trough, which was like some giant banana split. And it was just, it was enormous and kind of disgusting. But if you ate the whole thing, they'd come out and and everybody would surround you and they'd kind of like, Hey, he ate the trough or whatever. Never ate the trough myself, Jeff. I miss mark big Mark's big boys. Yeah, I miss them too. You know, there is a big boy now out in in Germantown, and they've got the um they've got a lot of that stuff. Jeff, I miss Silver Spring House. Yes, if you grew up up in Glendale like I did, you would miss um you would miss that as well. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Linda, Linda, you're on WtmJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. okay, what place do you miss?
5: The old Boulevard Inn, the mm-hmm. original one. Right, over, befo- right I think befo- it was near Washington Park. Yeah, yeah.
2: Right, right. Before, right, before, and then subsequently they, they closed before that they, one and they moved it down to um, where the, the the high end they- uh, Bartolotta's place is now. Yeah,
5: right, right, exactly. And I think that we went to after they moved and it just wasn't the same there was something about that other place with the piano and yeah. that was back in the day they when they would still make the uh tableside caesar salad and all that kind of
2: stuff i'm going way back no so. no but it was a great supper club your your it was it was a it was. wonderful supper club that was just a, right. a quintessential wisconsin supper club and thanks for calling, i i actually have a story about the old boulevardian that i don't have enough time to tell right now but it was a very it was a very It's a fun story and stuff like that, but it was just a great place. Um, Let's see. uh, Jeff, I miss Sally's Steakhouse. Got a story about Sally's Steakhouse to tell too, but I don't have time to do that right now either. But yeah, Sally's Steakhouse was in the Knickerbocker Hotel, I think, downtown. And, and, uh, I mean, you get the steak, you get the onion rings, and Sally Papilla, who ran the place. Um, well, she, Sally was an interesting person as well. Jeff, I miss, uh, Klutz Custard at 76th and Silver Spring. Yeah, that was a place that you thought would be there forever. Chee Cheese. Um yeah, Chi Cheese. I mean that, that was big as well. Dos bandidos. Jeff, um absolutely let's see. Oh uh, Dutchland dairy, right? No question about that. Couple people saying Dutchland, uh, dairy. Couple people saying, um, Farrell's. Again, that was a great place. Jeff, um, I miss, let's see, Marie Callender's in Brookfield. Never went there myself. A lot of people, a lot of people with Chi Chi's. Chi Chi's was just huge. No question about it. Jeff Manning's on 76th Street in Milwaukee. Yeah, we used to go there. All the time. The other place that I'd lump in with that is the Pandals in Bayside. Um, the, the Pandals in Whitefish Bay is still open, but the Pandals in Bayside miss that as well. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Steve in West Dallas. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve.
3: Um, I don't know if you remember this place. It used to be an Italian restaurant over on Firewall called Del Mondo. I, like, I do. The only reason I remember it is uh, it, my dad and I, it's just one of those places that he yeah, always took me on a special occasion.
2: Right, right.
3: I mean, they, had the, they, had the, they had the best. They had the best eggplant strips. Just, <laughs> I still remember them to this <laughs> day.
2: Yeah, no. Thanks for. Isn't it funny how there, there are certain things that you just associate with certain uh, with certain restaurants? Maybe I'll try to send out a tweet on this if you follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I literally have have hundreds of texts that have been pouring in about people who just remember some of these different restaurants and we've we've just only really kind of touched the, the the surface of that my dad used to hang out at a he used to love a steak place that was downtown called the embers it was on Kilbourne i think and my if if, if my dad could have eaten there every night he would have eaten there every every night and you know that closed and I just kind of broke his heart when when that ended up closing so all right you know if you go out to your favorite restaurant tonight or whatever restaurant you're out tonight just you know raise raise your old-fashioned glass and, and toast whatever that restaurant is that you used to love but isn't around anymore that's it for pop culture this week corner of this week brought to you by palermo's pizza